and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast hosted by Amy Baker. The Riff Raff is a writer's community that champions the work of debut authors and provides guidance, support and services for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. On today's podcast, I'm chatting to Ashley Hickson Lovins, author of The 392, a novel set entirely on a London bus over the course of 36 minutes as a threat of terrorism looms. Ashley is a former secondary school teacher who grew up in Hackney and now lives in Norwich, where he's completing his PhD in creative and critical writing at the University of East Anglia. We discuss writing about one event from multiple perspectives, the challenges of taking on 11 different voices, and the art of editing a finale. I sit down again. The old lady's shopping trolley was in the way, right in the middle of the aisle, and not being graced with the slenderest of frames these days, I bought admission. I false started did a sheepish U-turn to my seat at the back. The strange fellow at the front fumbles about suspiciously, so I think dirty thoughts to keep me calm. Some dirty grime and music how it should be. I look out the window. I look out beyond de Beauvoir, the rain falling heavier now. I see the city workers in trench coats clutching Bodum travel mugs full of Tasmo-made coffee, pounding it down the road to get to the office by ten, having dropped little Oscar off at the childminders. The bookworms clutching the lonely Londoners and Lincoln in the Bardo, who will get on a packed bus to Old Street and jump on the tube to their offices, a small literary agency in Central somewhere, followed by the British builders with bloated bellies and this morning's metro folded under their arm, manhandling their paint-stained toolboxes. The dwindling Eastern Europeans have trekked across the city already and have been on site since sunrise. They net cans of relentless like they're drinking Zubar. London is open. Hashtag London is open. A London growing year on year. An army of grafters grinding to keep the city moving. Haggerston swimming baths is still closed and black people still can't swim. Haggerston swimming baths will become shops, community spaces and offices and black kids still won't learn to swim. Black kids can't go surfing down in New Quay on GCSE results day with Tom, Aaron and Jeremy because black kids still can't swim but they can now shop in Haggerston and use the community spaces, spaces at a premium. On every corner a new build is being built, one bedroom, small outside space, good transport links, 30% deposit, fixed mortgage for the first three years, six months of stamped bank statements, credit checks get this signed by the solicitor at the end of the Victoria line, valued at half a million, low interest rate, housing associations and key worker discounts apply, bills not included. Over there, builders, merchants and removal businesses have been priced out and replaced by cafes and fancy flower gardens. The leisure centre is in danger. Crossroad 2 is coming. The primary school has changed its name to reflect the change and attract parents from the wider realms of the catchment area. Yummy's Caff and Barry's Locks look scared. A cluster of Santander bikes sit ready to be taken for a ride along the network of new cycle superhighways. The Hunter S with porn pictures in the men's toilet and Hackney Pale Ales on tap and a barwoman with cropped hair who's come down from York to chase her dreams of going to art school during the day, Central St Martins. She wears a vintage Adidas t-shirt bought from Beyond Retro in Stoke Newington, gets a small tattoo of a ballerina on the underside of her arm, a homage to the dance lessons she took between the ages of six and eight, moves from Stockwell to Cricklewood to Southall to Leighton, dabbles in a lesbian relationship but will maybe meet a decent enough man one day and have a normal enough nuclear family to keep her parents happy. She doubts that though, drinks pints of Kapow, has a Twitter profile of the Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea album cover, listens to Gus Dapperton and asks punters whether they've heard Ghost Poet's new record. She has a few piercings, one nose, three in the ears, two on the right, one on the left and a tragus that's infected and struggling to heal. 
New London, new high-rise tower blocks, yards from million-pound-plus houses. The sky is dark and the rain clouds don't look like budging. The man at the front with the bag and the beard does not look like budging. He's there still, perched at the front of this bus like a martyr. See it, say it, sorted. Outside, under the surface of aesthetic comfort, decent attire and decent hair, are uncomfortable overdraft balances, temptingly attractive payday loan adverts and difficult discussions with line managers. I still don't understand why checking your credit score could affect your credit rating. Not much passenger turnover between Hoxton and Dalston and Dalston and Highbury. The passengers on now are here for the long run. New balances, crop trousers, and it's getting colder, and the 73 doesn't go to Victoria anymore. And I know I'm rambling, but times are getting desperate, and the man is still at the front, and I don't want to die today. Hi, Ashley. Hello. Welcome to the Riff Raff Podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to chat about your um, debut novel, The 392. Um, so we can just maybe start with you telling us a little bit about what it's about. Um, okay, so the 392 is my debut novel and it's set uh, almost entirely on a single-decker London bus. The whole novel uh, spans over just 36 minutes and it's told from different characters' perspectives as a suspected terrorist gets on. Um, and I suppose one of my main aims um, when I was trying to write the 392 was giving voices to voices that we don't hear from often in literature. So those sort of annoying schoolgirls at the back of the bus or that homeless person talking to themselves. Um, so you hear from their perspectives and how they respond to this um, strange figure who is standing at the front and being a bit of a nuisance to some. Yeah, cool. It's, oh my God, I love the concept so much. And before we get on to the concept, I, I really love hearing about how people kind of come up with the idea. And it's obviously such a neat, wonderful idea. I wondered whether there was kind of like a moment that sparked it, the idea for you. I think there is, um, which is like quite perfect in many ways. <laughs> there was there was this one moment because uh, before this moment there was no novel, and that moment was one when I saw a female bus driver, a very um, quite pretty young, um, I would say, bus driver of Af- African descent um, driving the forty three bus in Islington, um, and she had gold jangly earrings and this very bright headscarf on and. I'd never seen a bus driver like that before. My dad was a bus driver and he was just a very ordinary looking bus driver. <laughs> and this this particular person uh, driving the 43 in Angel was very, very different to my expectations of what a bus driver does look like. And I was like, hmm, I wonder why she became a bus driver. I wonder what her story is. Um, and I immediately wrote down a few lines on my iPhone, um, just a few observations, what she looked like, um, what her voice might sound like. Um, and I very quickly wrote a few pages as her, um, as this 43 bus driver. And I remember showing it, I'd written about two or three pages at this point, and I remember showing it to um, my year nine class. I was an English teacher at the time, and I remember showing it to my year nine class and as, sort of, as a sort of starter activity, read this extract and tell me what you think and answer a few questions. And I gave it to them, and they were so thoroughly unimpressed. They were like, sir, this is so boring. Like, what is this story? Who wrote this story? Um, so then I was obviously doubted whether there was any longevity in this project. But um, yeah, obviously it developed from there. But I think, yeah, it was that moment. It was seeing this this very unusual looking bus driver. Very pretty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder whether she knows. Maybe. I know, like, yeah. You, know, she, you know, you never know. Like, that I'm absolutely try and find her, maybe. Might have tried to email um, Metroline, yeah. the company, and say like, yeah, by any chance, you have this... Let's try and see. Give her a copy of the free nine two. That would be awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Get, get a picture in there. Absolutely. Um, I love the idea of using your um, students as first readers. 
<laughs> yes. Um, God, they are the fiercest critics. Yeah, man. Um, and actually, because the 392 has... It's quite a... You know, a few of the characters speak in a very youthful vernacular. I'll say two or three of them. Um, I used to show them extracts quite regularly um, in, the, in the two schools I worked at. Uh, and they were very honest about, mm, I'm not sure if this character would say that, or I'm not sure whether this word fits. So actually, it was very, very conducive to the project as a whole to give them these extracts, especially from the, um, especially when it was younger characters, because they would candidly tell me, it doesn't sound right, so, yeah, yeah. or these aren't the words that we use. or So yeah, it was a very, very useful experience, actually. I suppose that also the teaching must have been incredibly useful, because you could listen to kind of the sort of conversations or the you know the topics that they would talk about. and Absolutely, and then, yes, yeah. yeah. There was material right in front of my eyes every single day, and I used to genuinely write down um, things they said, like my, my students said, because it was just gold. It yeah. really, really was. It was such a, it was a critique on... On society, it was a critique on the politics of the time. It was a critique on knife crime. It was a critique on police right in front of me, yeah. regularly, in the corridors, in the classroom. So, yeah, absolutely. It was it was such a great experience. Yeah. Do you miss it? Oh, terribly. Yeah? I really, really do, yes. Um, I love the interaction with, with young people. I worked in secondary school, so it was mainly teenagers. Um, and I miss that often. It is the other stuff I don't miss, you know, sort of the... <laughs> The marking and the planning. Oh, and the planning is nice, but the data, the data entry, and the um, yeah, the assessments and the parents' evenings, which go until nine o'clock at night, and you yeah. got to get home. That must be a stress. Well, I, I lived with some teachers before. This is uh, we're here to talk about your book. I lived <laughs> yes. with three teachers before um, when I first moved to London, and they were the hardest working people oh, God, yeah, I've ever yeah. met in my life. So, like, huge respect. It was dra- It was it was fantastic, but it was just draining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also handy, useful for yes, the book, exactly. Which yes. we should get back to. Yes. Um. So. Yeah, your concept. So the book is set over 36 minutes, as you said, as this kind of threat of terrorism mm. looms. Um, and, oh my God, it's so neat. It's so kind of compact. And you know, when you read all these advice articles online about how you should sort of like plan your book, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people say you should have an elevator pitch nailed. And this is such a prime example of that, <laughs> you know? Like, And so I wondered whether you had this one-liner at the beginning of the writing process or whether it was something that you came to later on? I'll be honest, it was completely organic. Like, I didn't write the book thinking, um, this is very marketable, this is going to sell. I didn't think of that at all. I didn't think about what would happen afterwards very much. Obviously, you get excited and you think about, oh, one of Penguin are going to like it. But (laughs) I didn't think about that often. The main thing for me was that I wanted to write um, something that I would read, um, a very bouncy, bouncy voices set in London, authentic in whatever that sense means, you know, like real places, real place names, real leisure centres, real bus stops, real buses. Um, that, that for me, was my main aim, um, thinking about the marketing side or how I was going to pitch this or how I was going to, um, what publishing house was going to pick it up was, was I wasn't really thinking yeah, about, yeah, actually. Yeah, you were thinking about the story. Absolutely. And like, yes. what, what, that's one thing I do really love about the book. Like, if you know this area... Then it's really cool because you you can like picture where they exactly Absolutely. where they are the whole time. So it's yes. um, yeah, that's a really lovely part of it. I I walked so the three nine two is a made up route um, from Hoxton to Highbury. Um, the reason why those two places are significant for me is because Hoxton is where I grew up. Um, I moved there with my mum in nineteen ninety four when I was aged age three, and I left I don't know about twenty ish when I finished twenty one ish when I finished uni, um, and then I lived in Holloway in Highbury up until very recently so it's the area which I grew up in to the area which I lived uh, when I left uh, when I left Hoxton uh, and it's a made-up route and I walked this made-up route two or three times to make sure that all the sort of amenities and locations within the 392 are 
as real as they could be. Um, so, as I said, you know, the leisure centres, the post offices are in the right place, the bus stops are in the right place, the ro- the street names and the estate names are are real. Yeah. Um, so that if anybody from Hackney or East London <laughs> would say, uh, I'm not sure about that, I would say, uh, actually, yes. <laughs> I, I did my research. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it sounds very geeky, but I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with I that. I like it that you seem to only live in places that begin with an H. I know, yeah. yeah it's alliterative, isn't Apart it? Apart from maybe Norwich. Yeah, yeah. I know, that's a shame. <laughs> you ruined yeah, it. I might move to Hull or something yeah. soon. Yeah. Next one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that, that that kind of because when I was reading it, I really got a sense of um, you know your obs- there's a lot of observations about London. You know the kind of people that you see when you look out of a bus window or when you're just walking on the street. Those kind of the things that you noticed really evoke the sense of London. And I and I pictured you sat on buses, you know, <laughs> being like mm, yeah, you know, taking notes and stuff like that, or or walking. So it's kind of yeah, it's cool to. to Imagine you doing yeah, that. Absolutely. And what a lovely part of the creative process as well. Like it's good to walk. Yes. And also, I know, finding. good, good for the Fitbit steps. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is important for a writer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but in so, although you weren't thinking about the concept in terms of marketing, did you have that kind of idea that it was set over this period? Because I, I feel like if to have that, it's set over this time frame. Mm-hmm. These characters are involved, and this is the setting. That's going to instantly give you so much kind of. Um, stuff to work with. Did you have that at the beginning? Um, I, I was. I would say yes. I, w- I would say yes. Um, I'm, embarrassingly, I'm going to talk about two films which um, were significant instead of talking about literature texts. Which there, there are many, many sort of literary muses that I, I um, was inspired by in writing the Free Nine Two. But there are also two films, and one of those films is called Lock, and that features um, Tom Hardy. And he is on, he's driving from London to Wales, actually, yes, along the M4. And the whole film takes place on that journey. And I watched that and I was like, oh my God, I love, I love how, what, what the director and the writer is doing with time here. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to try and do that with mine. Um, so Locke was a good one. And also the film Speed with Keanu Reeves. I was going to say, please say <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise I'm going to be really annoyed. Yeah, so it's obviously, I mean, growing up, Speed was one of my favourite films because it was set on the bus. Um, it's a great movie. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, it did come together. I suppose yes. I wanted it to be over one um, event. So like the fake six minutes, it was very very important to me. Um, and I also like the idea of one event happening from many different perspectives. Mm. Um, but also, I think what what is very important if anybody is trying to do that is that you don't repeat what is being seen from different characters, but the different characters see something different or give the reader something different. Otherwise, it becomes a very repetitive tale of something, you know, of there are 11 characters in this book. I can't say the same thing 11 times. Um, so if you are, you know, thinking about doing something similar in your writing um, and telling it from a different perspective, I would say give the reader something more a little bit every time mm. um, so that they keep keeps that engagement. And that was something that I was really keen to, to give. Yeah, yeah. And that's also like, that's such a satisfying thing to, as a reader to yes. see, to be like, oh, that's what, that's what they're doing. They're seeing that same, exact same thing from a different perspective. Absolutely, yeah. And that, um, you know, I love books that inter, like weave in those kind of interactions and stuff like that. It strikes me that it's probably not that easy to like did did you have to do much planning to kind of work out what people were going to be doing so that so that you didn't so that you could mm. avoid repetition mm-hmm. and so you could show their perspective 
yeah. wasn't much planning involved. No, not at all. No, no. I really, I really want to be one of those writers who have a big whiteboard and like post-it notes and scrawlings about like this is going to happen. No, it really, it was completely organic. Um, and I suppose that's what editing's for because like if I you know repeated myself or said something which wasn't useful at all, then that could be deleted in the end. But no, it was completely organic. Um, I just I just knew what I wanted as a as a reader. You know, I do you know as a PhD student in creative writing, I do have to read quite a bit. And I was just trying to make it something that I would read and and for that reason, um it was always very pacey and the idea of repetition unless it was done uh, deliberately um, hopefully doesn't feature too much in the 392. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't I didn't feel like there was yeah. any repetition. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it was so well done. And you know, having all these the well, let's chat about, chat about your characters. There's obviously 11. It's mm. quite the cast of characters. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, on a on a bus that maybe sits 60. Is that mm. a single bed? That's, that's a pure guess of what... Well, yeah, double-decker. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. double-decker, absolutely. Yeah, 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 about 60 people, yeah. So, you know, you've, but you've chosen... So you've chosen 11 very different voices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there is like a real sort of like musicality to the, to the you know, the novel as you switch between the characters mm-hmm, and stuff like mm-hmm. that, which really helps with the pace mm-hmm. and... Um, and really evoking the scene, like you say that you got inspiration from a film, from films. Yeah, I reckon it would make a great movie. <laughs> you know, because like you, the, the the voices that you give the characters and stuff are so kind of um, so real, which is mm. obviously the point of writing. Yes, but you know, yeah. like, so much so that it felt very visual to me. That's felt good. Like, I felt yeah, like I was that's on really that. good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when when this was out for submission. Um, it was only some out for submission for maybe a month or two. So you know, the idea of being out submission is like it's it's finished and we're now ready to send it out to publish publishing houses um the responses i got were really nice really nice and there were a few obviously my agent calls them passes but they're rejections there were a few rejections <laughs> and the rejections were so lovely they're like we love it we love the voices the younger voices were really compelling uh we, we just feel there are too many voices um that was often the trend um with the five or six rejections that i got at that stage um and what I felt they were missing was the fact that this was just a snapshot. You know, I wasn't trying to do like a, a comprehensive, convoluted backstory of these people's lives. It's just giving um, anybody who rides the bus a snapshot of, oh, that's what that person, and that's their look, you know, that's their story. They have, oh, they have a family or they have a job. And it was just meant to be this sort of fleeting, very lucid um, journey between these passengers on the bus. So, um, I mean, in fact, there was meant to be a 13 characters. So right before publication, we decided that two of the voices were just not convincing enough. And it was always, and that's always, it's always going to be difficult, you know, because I'm only one person and I can't, it's, gonna be, it's quite hard to, to try and, um, you know, so early on in my writing career to, to, to comprehensively try and take on 13 voices. Yeah. But I feel the 11 I have now are, you know, I'm quite proud of them yeah, for, 11, for the job they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they do. And they do a great job. And 11 is a huge amount. <laughs> yeah, it's a I'm huge sure amount, yes, with yeah. it and a couple of extras, I'm sure you would have um, like done a great job with them too. Interesting, like, what kind of characters were they? Were were they, was it... So oh, that, that yeah, had been omitted. Yes. So, you know, London is the... You know, the old cliche is a melting pot of cultures and nationalities. So I had a Spanish speaking character um, because I really wanted someone who wasn't English, who wasn't British or wasn't English um, or, or for like, because there is a character in there, but I suppose freshly, fresh to the country. Um, I just couldn't really, I just couldn't nail it. You know, yeah. I really tried. I spoke, spoke to people who, my, my friends who live in Spain. Um, I listened to um, lots of podcast and watch youtube videos but i just couldn't nail it and it wasn't very it wasn't as convincing as i would have wanted so i think it was for the benefit of the book that he no longer um 
is in there, although he lives in my head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I also had a referee, a football referee character, but I'm saving him for book two because okay, nice. book two is about a football referee. I understand you're a football referee. I am, yes. <laughs> so, yes. Interesting. <laughs> Can you see what I did there? <laughs> I'll look forward to reading it. Yeah. Um, so, of the characters that you you chose can you talk a little bit about yeah how you chose who you were going to include and um and your character development process i mean obviously you didn't go into the backstories but i think that the that trying to capture that snapshot of as you have you know what are they going to be thinking about as they're on their way to work where are they going like that Mm -hmm. kind of i really enjoyed that you Mm -hmm, know like mm -hmm. and and the hints at what's going on in their lives but not the full story but it must have been difficult not to be like woohoo down that down that hole especially with some of the more interesting characters yeah yeah but i mean there's nothing to say that you can't revisit those characters (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah, if you could just talk a little bit um i'll just about the last point about like i could have easily extended their stories and you know gone it could have been a bit richer or fuller if in in that sense i I do think they are a a decent portrayal of these of these people's lives but the reason why they're not longer is, is was, was a very deliberate reason i wanted it to be a very um sort of terse read i wanted it to be a very quite quick read mm. in many ways um just because everyone in london is so time poor you, unless they have you know their holidays um and i really wanted people to read this on their way to work um quickly before bed and i really want i didn't want it to be a um sort of a massive novel and i really wanted it to be quite the chapters are quite short the chapters are all roughly the same size again very deliberate um there is a sort of neatness to it which we talked about before so that's why um i didn't really want there to be um, I didn't want it to be too long, even though, yeah, you're right, there was a temptation, especially with a character called Natalie. Natalie opens the no- uh, the novel, so she's she's chapter one, and she really did take me on a journey. You know, she she was a great voice to write, and I really wanted to write loads and loads and loads, but I had to sort of rein it in a little bit, um, just because I think it's for the benefit of the book, you know, and the benefit of um, the overall story and what I was trying to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in relation to how I chose my character, I suppose there's two things. Um I wanted it to be a, a, represent a real cross-section of modern-day society, um, not just here in London, but also just like Britain as a whole. You know, you have, as I said, you know, the old granny, you have the driver herself, you have the teenage boy, the teenage girl, you have the politician. I mean, it, it is set in London, but it could be anywhere because it is such a real cross-section of, of characters and, you know, a real diverse range. Um, but also, they're all of the characters in some way are manifestations of my own life in relation to even myself or my friends and family. So there's a character called Gloria, and she is a um, a retired nurse, and she's she's quite elderly, um, and she seems to be struggling in this struggling to sort of um, assimilate into this sort of gentrified East London. Um, and I, I for me that reminded me of my my grandmother, and uh, my grandmother passed away four years ago, um, and yeah, the similarities between her and Gloria. Um, are very stark and when my grandmother passed I didn't know how to deal with it like I didn't really mourn I felt really sad but I didn't really mourn I didn't cry Um, I suppose it was a real cathartic experience writing Gloria's character thinking about my nan Mm. Um, so yeah that's just one example but I think you know Natalie and Levi in particular are autobiographical in ways so Levi is a character who um, experienced the London riots in Tottenham first hand but then overcame those troubles and actually turned out, you know, like to get a good job and get a good um, fiance. Um, and, you know, I suppose that that rise from coming from somewhere, you know, um, associated with crime and an estate, etc. And then actually doing quite well for yourself is quite similar, I hope, to my own story of growing up in a Hackney estate and, 
you know, now doing a PhD. Um, and Natalie, you know, opens, as I said, she opens the, the novel when she grew up in an estate. And I suppose I'm just playing on how that affects your psyche, you know, growing up in a, in a Hackney, in Hackney, in a borough associated with, you know, low level crime and, and sort of poverty, etc. Um, and, and trying to overcome those, those issues. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, like, because to be able to write with real feeling, you know, it needs, I mean, I definitely need to write from a personal place. Otherwise, I feel like it's just guesswork. Yes. And yes. so, I do, so did you, did you find that that was when you were putting together these characters, that they were, I suppose it sounds like you're, you kind of just, just write and see what, and the magic <laughs> happens. But like, you know, like I, if that was me, I would be thinking, right, okay, so I want to represent that with that character. How can I do mm, that? And mm. was, was there, was there any of that? Or did you just kind of realise later that that allowed you to explore those certain themes? Yeah, no, I mean, again, yeah, it seems like it was it was far too easy, but it, it wasn't, but it was relatively organic. I, you know, I, I did want the characters to represent different ideas, different ideals about uh, modern life and modern society. Um, but I suppose I was trying to convey that just through their voice and their character. It wasn't a deliberate act. Like, I want, you know, I want Ray, who is the uh, racist football fan, to be... Um, you know, politi- any, any any more political, any less political than I really conveyed. I just tried to do it organically through, through his voice and, and the way it's written on the page. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think there's anything... There isn't anything sort of overtly clever about what I was trying to do. And that was done deliberately. You know, I, as I said, I was working as a teacher at the time and I was thinking to myself the whole time, what can I give my students to read that they would enjoy? Um, and I wouldn't recommend this book for any students under the age of probably about 15 or 16. But um, I hope when they are 15 or 16 that they would enjoy this, even though this is the readership, I would say, is for you know sixth form and above and adults, of course. But um, yeah, I was, I, that's what I was thinking. I didn't want it to be... I didn't want the themes to be sort of um, metaphorically convoluted. I suppose I wanted it to be quite clear and accessible. Is that is that when you, when you set out to write it? Was it were you writing with kind of that sort of audience in mind? Like you were you were thinking like kind of I want to write something that represents all of these voices and yeah, I yeah, was yeah yeah. yeah yeah I think I was. Um, the whole for me, my main aim as a writer is to try and get people who don't see themselves as writer as readers sorry um reading yeah. essentially um so uh, you know you can coin it a reluctant reader i'm not sure if i love that phrase but um people yeah people who just think reading is not cool or reading is not for them yeah. um well i want them to pick up the 392 or my next book um and say oh actually i really enjoyed that actually you know um i think that's my number one aim as a writer my number yeah. one aim and i i think the 392 is my first go at that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's cool uh, like the the what you said about how you wanted it to be kind of a fast read, you know, and mm. like, because um, I found it really immersive. Mm. You know, like when it ended, I was like, oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it's the kind of thing that you would read in one sitting. Yes, yes. Or the kind of thing that, like you say, you would read kind of a chapter, and mm. you'd be, but you'd be there. But mm. I read it, I think I read it in, in a one sitting. A few people have said that. Yeah, a few yeah. people have said they read it in one sitting. Yeah, which I think if you're, um, you know, if you love reading, I think that's, that's, that's the thing. And if you are like a bit sceptical about the idea of reading a book, then you can read it in, in small chapters, small chunks. So yeah, yeah. you can read it in both ways. Which is good. Like, and but that, but that kind of, with that, how much speed that was and how, and how much you were there, you know, like you're hearing the voices, you're seeing the faces, you're wondering how you would react in mm-hmm. that kind of situation. So it is like kind of an immersive. Yes. But it's the way that you, I mean, obviously the time, the time. Lends itself it, to It lends yes. itself to tension but it still very much ramps up and ramps up and ramps yeah. up. 
And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you approached building that tension over the course of the book. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I was teaching, I'm going back to teaching a lot, but I was teaching um, J.B. Priestley's Inspector Calls to my GCSE class. Uh, and it's, it's a play um, published just after the Second World War. And in it, there's a big twist at the end. And um, I've taught, I taught it over two years to two different classes. And both times, my classes just went insane by the twist at the end. They couldn't believe it. They were in complete shock. And I was like, I need to try and emulate something like that. Because I think, I mean, even you know, when I read it for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so I was trying, always trying to build up to this big twist at the end. It was very important for me that there was this big twist at the end. Um, and li- linking that to what was very current at the time. And, you know, we had the... Um, obviously we had the terrorist attacks in London you know, over a decade ago now but then obviously we had the bridges uh, Westminster Bridge and London Bridge attacks which were um, in the last few years and then the Manchester Arena attacks so that felt very current so I brought those two things together um, deliberately you know, the, the idea of terrorism how overt that threat is and how we see people of colour or how we see somebody who doesn't look like us um, so that, was, that needed to be there all the time and building up towards that and knowing there's a big twist at the end. Um, the last chapter of the 390 was the hardest to write. I would say there's a rawness to the 390 because very little edits took place um, up until the very last chapter. It was very important that the last chapter was, was, was done correctly because we are talking about terrorism, we are talking about race. Um, and, you know, just as a writer, we're talking about how do we tie everything in, as, you know, in the plot sense. Um, so that was edited quite a lot. I needed... A bit of help with that, with speaking to my agent um, and my publisher and my girlfriend, mainly, um, <laughs> who, who suggested a few things. Um, but yes, I think, yeah, the last chapter was hard because I had to tie in everything quite neatly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you've done a very good job with it. Cool, like, you know, yeah. Like, cause, like, I, because it's so immersive, I don't yes. think I was really thinking, what you know, thinking, oh, there's going to be a twist or whatever. And so I was very mm. much on the journey mm. as it happened. And um, yeah, I thought you did it really well. Yeah. yeah, good. Yeah, I feel like it's the kind of book that I would read again because there was so there is even though what I what I really respect about what you're saying is you've you've kind of even though it's not simple you've you've just you've made a decision to keep it in these kind of confines mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. you don't lose your mind over making it really complicated. Yes, yeah, yeah. And oh my god, I wish that I had that skill. Like, <laughs> I just feel like with some of my ideas, I just I just I, I would keep on going and keep on going and keep on going, and there's there's got to be that point where you go actually maybe yeah. this is what I'm trying to write and so did you find did you find that kind of to be a bit of a struggle to kind of keep yourself in those in that lane mm. like you know you, you did find that yeah um yeah I did actually I did I did um but as I said because I'm maybe it's like some OCD but I really wanted the chapters to be very very sort of neat and symmetrical um just because I think it's it's better for the reader the reader's experience um, it's satisfying. It's a satisfying. It is, yeah. Structure, definitely. So you hear from each character twice, or each passenger twice. And I, I apart from a few, apart from the uh, bus driver and um, another character, which I don't want to give away. Um, but yeah, you hear from each character twice in the same order that you heard them the first time. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you, a little bit more information is revealed about the plot, but also about their lives as you as you read on. Um, again, just talking about accessibility, just talking about uh, yeah, reading habits. Those are, those are the choices that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the overall structure of this. Yeah, yeah. And going back to the sort of editing of the finale, you know, like, I'm, I'm obviously not going to give anything away, but yeah. 
surely that's the thing that everyone has to do you know that is so important like the start of your book and the end of your book are so so key yes, so absolutely. Like, yes. my edit my ending changed completely yeah, about yeah. five times oh good so yeah is, I would say about five or six times yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, want it, yeah. you want to wrap it up in uh, a decent way yes, so I'm sure yeah. that's um yeah and that I reckon that's a collaborative process as well because you want to make sure yeah it's nice that you've got people that you whose opinions you trust on that I think that's good advice I really do I think if you're you know finding it a bit tricky to tie everything all up then please do seek expert advice you know whether that be from friends you trust or family you trust or publishers agents etc I think it was I wrote them um this would have been a completely different novel um and the reaction to the ending has been very very good and I'm very pleased with the action to the ending I've only had one slightly um she was slightly perturbed I did an event last week and she you know it was all full of praise but she had I just wasn't sure about the ending. <laughs> and I was like, how do you want me to respond to that? I write, <laughs> should I write a sequel? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, generally the reaction's been very good. And I, I would say, yeah, you, you want to make sure that you tie everything up. In, well, I suppose, not tie everything up, I suppose that's too neat and tidy, but um, you're satisfied with the ending. Um, so yeah, seek advice if, yeah, if needed. You're not, but you're never going to please everyone. You know, and you're never going to please everyone. That's very true. Like, mass, that's very that true. Like, yeah. You've got to let go of that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, th- th- as you mentioned, The 392 is definitely a book that challenges perspectives. Mm. Um, you portray certain characters through the eyes of other passengers and then you go to that specific pa- passenger and show their experience and give give the reader information about that. Um, so all the time, the readers, the reader forms an opinion and then it's kind of shattered and then it's exactly the same again, yeah. you know. Like in, And um, so you've obviously written a book with the purpose of challenging perspectives and perceptions, yes. and, and you know, and um, you know, challenging that instant judgment that people make of everyone around them, like without even maybe knowing that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, I want, yeah, I wondered if you could talk about how you approach that in the novel. Yeah, um, I think I, you know, I talk about things being organic and candid. I would say this was the only thing in which I did think about. Um, I really wanted their, the characters of in the three nine two, so the passengers on this bus, to be your archetypal bus passengers but then subvert them in just a little bit, like a little way um, in which you go, oh, so they're not just like that. So, you know, on this bus, you have the old granny and the homeless person and um, the suited city worker and the politician that I mentioned before. But then all of them are not your usual um, characters in, in, in those senses. Like, um, so the homeless person talking to himself is actually a talented or seemingly talented photographer and you know I wanted to subvert those ideas of how we see people um, in a very sort of cleverish way I think it's I think stereotypes exist and tropes exist for a reason and they're important especially for the target audience you know I talked about I went it's possibly a younger target audience or a reluctant reader target audience and I wanted them to be familiar with those stereotypes so familiar with, oh yes I've met a character like Ray before you know the racist mill fan <laughs> or I've met a character like Natalie you know the the hackney girl with a bit of an attitude and I go but then actually you you know our opinions of these people are changed and we go oh right okay so maybe I should think about you know some of the people that I know in real life I might poach them differently or think about them in a different way um, so it was very important that I subverted those tropes and stereotypes that seemingly exist on the surface of this novel um, and that was quite deliberate actually so we have I think I suppose that's done most starkly with the character of Barney who is um, a politician uh, not too dissimilar to our current prime minister oh. and um yeah sorry yeah it's not, not good news but um he 
likes grime music. I loved that element. Yeah. Of the story. yeah. <laughs> and I suppose I was I was doing two things with that. You know, the the whole idea of um he's very similar to that politician that we talked about. And secondly, he represents a new type of person coming into areas like Hackney and and Islington and Highbury and just generally East London in which um they may look a certain way and they they, they do things to try and um and fit in. So like, you know, go out in Dawson or listen to grime music or I don't, you know, um, go for a, you know, th- those sort of brunchy type crowds. I, you know, I really, that's what I was playing on, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like it was fun. Yeah. Like when, I, when I really get this, you know, it's obviously such a fun, obviously you, you're dealing with heavy, heavy themes mm. and stuff like that, but it is, it seems like it would have been a really fun book to write. You know, it's made me think what similar way, you know, like, I think it just seems like a lovely, did you have fun is essentially what I'm trying to yeah. ask. <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun. So, yeah. so much fun. Um, I think some people reading this book have, have been a bit like, um, like they, they don't want to tell me that they laughed or they found it enjoyable because of the themes that we talked about. Because it's quite, you know, the ending in particular is a bit, is very striking and quite emotion, um, emotional. But actually, please do laugh. You know, please do say you enjoyed it or had, you know, laughed at because... I had so much fun writing it, and I was trying to be funny at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the character like like uh, like Barney absolutely had so much fun with because you know I talk about subverting tropes and stereotypes, but I did I that's most present in in his two chapters. Um, but I was just having fun with it essentially. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just messing around and and playing with um, yeah you know the musicality of the area like we talked about before. I was I was very influenced by grime music. I think grime music has a bit of a bad reputation um, in the media, especially because of the rise of knife crime in, in the capital city. Um, but I do think grime music is very different to, to drill music. I would say drill music is, is you know, it's, it's sort of more linked to organised crime and gangs. But I would say grime music is actually full of clever wordplay and oh it's, it's God, young yes. boys just having fun with music. And I was just playing with that in, in Barney's chapter. Actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and... and- how long did it take you to write? Was it four years? About four years, four yes. Years. About four years, yeah. And how do you, I mean, it's not, knowing that you had fun with it, it's also nice to sort of understand how your kind of writing process, like mm. what kind of writer are you? Are you able to kind of concentrate for long periods of time? Or? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> most of this was written on my phone um, using the Notes app and I broke down every single character onto individual files on my Notes app. And now and then... Mainly while I was travelling to work um, on the bus or Tendlink, I would add to the um, relevant folders. But that, that was mainly for the second half. I, for the first half of the novel, of the novel, so about the first 20,000 words, I um, so I did an MA at City University yeah. London, and um, each character mainly represents an individual task I got as homework. Okay. Um, from the MA so the character of Natalie started life as a MA extract sorry MA home exercise in which I had to write a modern day Cinderella story and that obviously has changed a lot through editing and um, but that's how she started life Um, the character of Ray was an MA exercise um, in which I had to write from someone who was blind Uh, and it just grew from there so the first half um, was essentially MA exercises, and then second half I wrote mainly on my way to work, yeah. uh, on the way back from work. It's uh, I, like it's it's fun, isn't it? When certain, like you know, you you can think that you're working on one project, and then 
when you come to like I, I started writing a, uh, my second book and then stopped writing that idea to write another idea but mm. loads of the ideas from the first yes. idea yeah. came through to, and it's, it's kind of like yeah. you needed to do that to be able to get to this idea absolutely yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 very true they never chuck away any of your writing I, you know I never do I always put it in a separate word document so I've got lots of word documents of writing that you know I haven't used yet but I might use or yeah. come back to um, but I also think the MA taught me that exercises are, va- are, are valuable you know people think oh um, you know, there is a sort of stigma around doing exercises, or even exercises you can find in like books. You know, and I think they're great. I think they're great um, way of keeping the brain stimulated and um, yeah, coming up, conjuring up ideas. Yeah, I love the idea of. I mean, I write loads of stuff in my notes on my phone. Yes. but I just think there's definitely something about um, being inspired while you're like in motion. Mm. There's just like because you know that that kind of when you're when you're on a commute, or I suppose it's the stimulation around you and yeah. that kind of stuff. But like there's. I one of our authors on the podcast, Felicia, Felicia Yap, mm-hmm. she um, said that she like would come up with storylines while she was dancing oh, or wow. while she was on the train. Like it was always when she was moving. So if she ever felt stuck, she would do something. She'd, she'd just go on a bus ride or she'd do yeah. something that meant that she was definitely. kind of like, this, you know, she was like, it's definitely chemical. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I think that's true. Um, I would say there are the, the two main ways for me to, because the second book is, is, is a lot harder and it's very, it's very different. Um, and I feel like I'm getting stuck with it a lot more than I did the 392. And there are two ways in which I can try and get out of that rut. And that is to read. I, th- I think reading is, is really helpful. <laughs> um, so do read. And secondly, um, go for a walk or a bus journey. Yeah, yeah. People watch. Pe- essentially people watch. Mm. Um because that's where you're, for me, that I can easily write a chapter about someone sitting in the coffee shop. So true. And yeah. sometimes full scenes will happen in front of you. Absolutely. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I had like just an amazing, I was it's so bummed out about my what, a day of writing and I was like, oh, I'm going to go and treat myself to like a huge slab of cake. Yes. And I was sat there and there was just the most dramatic teenage breakup happening in front of me <laughs> in this tiny coffee shop where no one, I had nowhere to go and I was like, this is yeah, gold. gold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. going my, in the book I'm writing. Good, now. good. Obviously adapted. Yes. But I was okay. like, the yeah. universe needed me to get out of the house. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah. As, as much as I, cause I, you know, I've got a study where I live now and I, you know, I try to sit there and work, but actually just getting out of that study and going for a walk uh, or going for, going for a coffee or going on a bus is, is for me the, the best thing. It's, you always beat yourself up, well, I always do for... For the hour, for the, the writing time where I'm not actually writing. Yes, you do. But obviously, yeah, it's yeah. so important to be doing the other parts of it as well. Yeah. You, that you don't, you have to kind of accept that they're part of the process. Absolutely. Too. 392 is published with Own It, which um, has, you know, it's published a lot of really cool authors. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. I remember the riffraff, you mentioned that um, you had this real sort of like desire to get the book out in 2019 mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I wonder if you could just speak a little about yeah, your sort of journey to publication and how you ended up at Own It. Yes, so um, I remember working at Hampstead School and um, one of my main aims as Key Stage 3 coordinator, so in charge of Key Stage 3 English, was to try and get students reading for fun. Um, and that was, over two years, that was the hardest job I had, actually. You know, what could I add to the curriculum um, which they would engage with? And I, re- I remember, you know, really struggling with that. But then one sort of term I saw students walking around the school reading um, and literally they couldn't put this book down they're walking along corridors bumping into people reading this book and I was like what is this book I said, I said what is this book people are reading um, and it turned out it was a book called Prisoner to the Streets um, by Robin Travis and it was published by Own It 
So I decided to to buy a copy of this book because I was like, I want to know what the kids are reading. Uh, and I read it in like two nights. I thought it was fantastic. It's, it's a memoir. It's brilliant, um, really compelling, um, really voicey, set in, set in East London. And I was like, oh, wow, this is quite, in many ways, similar to, to the 392, you know, set in East London, voice, gritty, etc. Um, so I decided... Um, with my agent to to send them a manuscript, send them, send them the three ninety manuscript, and you know, like these things take time. It took a few months, and they read it, and they um, they said that they liked it, and I was you know so happy because Own It had published some fantastic books. JJ Bowler's No Place to Call Home, I also loved. Um, Robin Travis also released a novel called um, Mama Can't Raise No Man. I just loved what they were all about. You know, publishing underrepresented um, voices. Um, often working class, BAME, and I was like, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this family. Um, and ever since, I've, I've really sort of flourished. I think um, Crystal, the founder, we speak regularly uh, via WhatsApp. It's very intimate. You know, there's only it's only a two person team, and it's really like if I have an event coming up, I can just WhatsApp her, and it's just, it just feels really personal, really intimate. And yeah, I've really enjoyed my time um, being published with them. Yeah, yeah, cool. I love what they're what they're publishing. We've had a couple of authors. Through, oh yes, through, yeah. Jill, of Jill, course. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 yeah, so I'm excited to see what happens because I know they've just la- launched this branch of um, kind of literary and books and films yes, and stuff like that as yes, well. Yes, yeah, really they've, ex- they've signed some exciting, exciting names. It's going to be yeah. Fr- so everyone watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about your second book, or is it all quite quite hush? Um, I can say a few. I can say a few bits. Um, so yeah, so the second novel is part of my PhD. Um, so my PhD is eighty percent novel, twenty percent essay. Um, and the novel is about a former Premiership football referee um, who came from Jamaica, lived in Sheffield, um, and made it to the very top of his profession, despite being, you know, a black man and the, you know the glass ceilings and the institutionalised racism associated with that. Um, but even though it's about a football referee and it's about someone involved in football, it's one hundred percent not a football book. Mm. I'm writing this as a you know, a literary novel which everybody, I hope, will be um, intrigued by and would want to buy, if, if picked up by somebody. Um, I have aims. Um, I always I had, you know, five or six main aims um, when I was writing 392. And these aims are very similar to, to the new novel that I'm writing. And it's going to be voice driven. It's going to be pacey. It's going to have a twist. So it's going to be very similar to the 392 in many ways. Because that's just, you know, again going back to my main aim as, as a writer I want to engage people who might not want to pick up a book usually yeah. um, to read um, so you want to give them some like, some action absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely. so yeah the aims are very similar to the 392 and yeah it's going well I mean I've only I've only really just started but you know again like we talked about before there are ideas that are sort of floating around in my head and I'm just yeah I just need to write it down now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well I'm excited to read it but um, the I I, I Obviously, you were working as an English teacher, and then, as you said, you you didn't study for an MA. It was it was City University, mm-hmm. wasn't it? And then, obviously, you've you're now doing creative writing PhD in East Anglia, which yeah. is like the Hogwarts <laughs> of like creative yeah, writing, it's isn't crazy. it? Yes. It, I mean, it must be. Um, so I really respect that you've just made that decision to go and just completely immerse yourself in it, and um, it must be it must be so enriching, you know, to yeah. be around that all the time, and I and. Um, yeah, I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about it. Well, yeah, absolutely. I wasn't planning on doing a PhD in creative writing. I wasn't planning on doing a PhD. I didn't see myself as an academic, really. Um, I did the MA at City, and 
I, I knew, well, I felt that my, my dissertation piece was, was decent. Um, and dissertation piece being the, what well, ended up being the 392. Um, and I, you know, I managed to get a good mark out of it. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I should continue this. Like, maybe I should do something with this. Like, it's just because, like, I don't know, maybe I come from, you know, I come from a Caribbean family and the whole idea of academia and being an academic is, a very um, alluring one, you know, like they're like, oh, my son's a doctor. And I was like, I was thinking of my mum about that. So she would absolutely love that. But um, <laughs> So that was playing on my mind a little bit. But no, I just really wanted to to see what would happen if I did a PhD, uh, did creative writing at PhD level. So I, once I got a good mark at my for my MA, I was like, let me, let me just apply. Um, I also had this idea about this referee for many, many years. Um, and so I just put those two things together and I, I sent about 50 emails to... Um, creative writing academics across the country oh, wow. and I got a response from about five or six who were saying um, yeah we, we like your project um, let's let's see what we can do do a research proposal have a chat uh, and then UEA got in touch and I, and I sort of once UEA are in touch yeah, I was yeah. like well forget the others like UEA you know um, McEwen Ishiguro Dinah Evans like, like go on honestly yeah, but, yeah. but it's just massive so yeah, I got into UEA, then it was funding, managed to get full funding, so that was was fantastic. Um, and yeah, now I'm just, yeah, I'm loving life, really. I am. It's, it's, it's tricky because obviously there is a lot of pressure on us. You know, there's about 10 or 12 of us from, from this year, from, so from my cohort, um, writing novels. And I suppose there is a bit of pressure on us as we're funded and, and, and as we're studying at UEA to try and write something that's really special. Mm. Um, but there is such a good vibe um in the city like you go for a run you bump into a poet you know your postman is a is a novelist like mm-hmm. everybody in the city is a writer yeah, you, know, cool. you bump into your supervisors all the time you bump into professors from uea all the time there, there is such a writerly atmosphere there are open mics more or less every night nice. um yeah lots of just lots of writing events and you, you sometimes you just have to say no because otherwise you'd be out every single night uh, but it's been really it's been really good for for my writing and, and building those those networks yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. How many more years do you have left? I've got two more years. Two more so years. year one's done, and I've got two more years. And yeah. what's your um, what's your actual thesis? Is it is it is it is it this book? Like, what's the sort of like actual? Research? Yeah. So the um, I suppose yeah, the book is research because it, you know it's predominantly set in 1970s Sheffield, um, but that's only worth 80 percent of the overall um, PhD thesis. The other 20 percent is a critical essay in which I'm looking at the depiction of of race in um, various football text okay. essentially what i'm saying is in my in my critical thesis is how the autobiographies of black footballers are, are told by white journalists mm. and that sort of discrepancy of where the truth lies and are they really telling a rich story whereas my novel should be richer because i'm telling a story of a black man which is what i am and a referee which is what i used to do yeah. um so in that sense it should my story should um act as a repost for um, some of the poor quality autobiographies that exist out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh my God, what a way to spend your day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it, sounds, it sounds wonderful. Oh, cool. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned spoken word. Um, and I can't, I mean, you absolutely smashed it at the riffraff with, <laughs> with a few po- poems, like your spoken yes. word poetry. Um, I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> that would be a bit harsh. But, um, you know, there's, there, that that. Did you so? Was poetry the, first, the, the the stuff that you started out with? Is that what you kind of got you writing in the first place? And then, because like this, the, the, 
the book is really poetic. You know, that's that's the, the, there's that kind of musical quality to it, which seems to be born in poetry, but also maybe music. But yeah, was that kind of your first foray into? Yeah. Um, so, I suppose I should start when I was in secondary school. I didn't read a lot actually. I like the idea of reading, but I didn't actually read a lot. I like the idea of picking up a book and looking smart, but I, <laughs> I didn't actually start reading properly until I was in sixth form. Um, and then while at sixth form, I started to read, you know, like 1984, Catcher in the Rye, Frankenstein. And I was like, oh, maybe I should do English at literature because I've read some of these, these core texts. Um, and then one of the um, pieces of homework that I got from my sixth form English teacher was to write a sonnet. Um, and I decided to write a sonnet about a bus because I think my dad was a bus driver and I like buses. So I decided to write a sonnet really? about a bus. Yeah. <laughs> I love how like on trend. Yes. Um, and then that was sonnet one. And then I decided for no reason, like the homework was done and marked, you know, I decided to carry on the, this, this, um, this sonnet poetry route. And I, over the years of my university years and years as a sort of trainee teacher, I managed to accumulate 50 of these bus-themed sonnets. Um, and, I just, you know, I, hadn't, I wasn't writing novels at this point. I was just, I was just focusing on poetry. And I considered myself a poet at that time. Yeah. I didn't do performances. I never did spoken, uh, spoken word nights or anything like that, or open mics. I just wrote these in my bedroom um, and got to 50. Because like, that was always my aim, get to 50. I don't know, I don't know what I was going to do with it. Maybe I might publish them one day. Um, so I got to 50. Um, and then, and then I, I decided to do the MA um, in novel writing using what I learned uh, as a poet to help me write those short stories and novels and novellas etc um, absolutely and I'm so pedantic I suppose about how the words look on the page and making sure that they are melodic and rhythmical and there is some you know alliteration in there mm. um, because I do think I learned a lot from my days as a as a poet and I wanted to try and um, transfer that into my novel writing I wanted it. To, I think it lends itself nicely to the paciness that I was trying to achieve. Definitely, definitely, and and also, you know, s- summing up things succinctly. Yes, ab- yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, abs- no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Would yeah. You, reckon you, do you, you do you still write poetry now, or do you, is it something? Um, I'm looking to hopefully publish those um, poems. I'm going to edit those oh. poems and publish them. I think that'll be nice. Um, companion with the three nine two, actually. Um, but yeah, on Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) people that bought this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they need they need an edit. So I'm going to work on editing those. Um, and hopefully going and do some more performances. So that was, you know, when I performed two of those poems at Riff Raff, you know, that was a rare occasion. I don't often perform them. Um, but I had so much fun, and then I did a poetry event. Um, shortly after that and um, did 10 of them off by heart so yeah oh no um, but yeah I'm feeling good about them so hopefully yeah. we can um, yeah get them out into the world cool man I can't yeah. wait to read them like the the sort of like the element of doing spoken word and um, and performing like that must be so good to your public speaking practice or you know like that because it's it's obviously so much to do with taking the breath at the right mm, time abs- and that kind yes, of I, I yes. struggle with that like I just all of my words at once you know it must be so good in good training for when you just have to speak about your projects as well yes absolutely yeah. yeah so true there's been a few things well I did an, an event last week and I was very nervous about it and, and I need to sort of snap myself out of it and go why am I nervous you know you've done poetry events before you you know you used to be a referee you used to be a teacher come on Ashley sort yourself out so absolutely I think all of these combined um hopefully make me a better speaker for I mean my aim is to become a creative writing lecturer so that's what I sort of aspire to so 
hopefully I can um, I'll get there with the experience of doing those various things cool man I, 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 I fully believe in you I totally <laughs> believe you. in your success I lo- and I also love um, seeing how how authors mine all of their personal experiences to produce the projects that they do yes, like it's yeah, um, it's, yeah. it's it really kind of makes me feel like you know, like oh, they're made to do it. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I completely get. Yeah, I'm so intrigued by meeting other authors and knowing their stories just outside of them being a writer. Because I do think you're absolutely right. It does shape them into um, what they are doing at the moment or what they will do in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, and what they yeah. what they want to say with yes. so much force that they'll commit to like four years of hell. Yeah, no, Not hell, fun. It's all fun. All fun. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, well, Ashley, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's oh, been a real pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. If you listen to and enjoy the Riffraff podcast, please do me a favour and tell everyone you know that's interested in writing. And also, if you have time and the inclination, I'd love it if you'd leave a little review over on iTunes so that other writers can know that it's worth their time. Cheers.